0: Keep praying for those folks. That's a that's a cool thing. Um, we are uh, we're in this series called Unscripted, and I'm I'm really. Um I'm really jazzed about this series, but I'm also, uh, really concerned about it. I, it's, it's something that, that for me has co- caused lots of, uh, churn. Because the reason that we're doing this series is, is because collectively as a staff, as a leadership, we felt like, man, we've, we've got to become better prayers. We've got to learn how to pray. More effectively, we've got to pray not just going through the motions, but we've got to pray with our whole hearts, with our whole fo- focus. And so these five, six weeks that we're in this unscripted, um, series, it's all about helping us think differently about prayer so that, so that we might be used to communicate with God in a way that changes us that changes the world around us as well. The first week in the series, Chris talked about what what prayer, what communication with God looked like before there was sin. Right In the Garden of Eden, there was this open and honest communication. It was the most natural thing in the world for Adam and Eve to talk to God, just as they walked and talked. But once they sinned, once they sinned, then all of a sudden it got wacky, right? It got goofy. There was there was this this um, lack of connection that happened. God says, "Hey Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked?" And and th- there was this breakdown in communication that happened at that point. Last week we talked about what's called the model prayer, sometimes the Lord's Prayer, our Father, that, that it's, not, it's not something that we're to just memorize and to say by rote, but it's a, really a guide for how we communicate with God, how we talk with God, that uh, a recognition that God's our Father, that He's the one who provides for us, and that the one who guides us, and that we can trust Him in every aspect of our life. Um. Uh, Jesus, or the disciples said to Jesus, "Teach us to pray." And so Jesus did. When he was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, "This is what it, this is what prayer looks like. It needs to look like not again, not something that you just memorize and you go through this process, but this is what it means to communicate at a heart level with God." Um, today, I, I want to explore more of the concept that we talked a little bit last week about. The need for prayer to be real and authentic, to be gut-level communication that comes with God, uh, something that comes from deep inside us and that trusts God completely. Um, You you know, when you think about the life of Jesus, um, there was this miraculous birth, right? Angels in the sky, uh, supernatural conception, all the stuff that happened. Jesus is born. There's this big celebration, the coolest thing ever. Um, history changed in that moment. Jesus, we don't know a lot about his childhood. When he's 12, he's in the temple teaching the teachers about God's word. And then there's not really anything until Jesus' ministry starts. And when Jesus begins to minister, he begins to love on people and to, and to impact their lives in incredibly dramatic ways. He heals people, he teaches people, he challenges people, he challenges the establishment to think differently about who God is and how he relates to them. And everything points to the time in his life when Jesus ultimately is betrayed and goes to the cross. Before that happens, there's this picture, there's this scene, there's this event in Jesus' life where he prays to God with this gut-level authenticity, with this razor-like sharpness in his focus, because he realizes what's going on. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 14. This particular event is listed in all four Gospels. It's, it's critical. And and the wording is very similar in in the Gospels. But uh, we're going to read from Mark 14, beginning in, in verse 32, and going to read through uh f- verse 42. If you've got the app, open it up to that. There's some fill in blanks there for you. If you want to take a Bible out of the back of the pew in front of you, that would be great. Look on your app, whatever. Uh, Jesus and the disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples... Sit here while I pray. What's happened immediately before this? Immediately before this, Jesus has celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He's washed their feet, right? He's, he's served them. And then he's taught them. The, um, the, the prayer that happens, Jesus teaching from John 14 to John 17, is immediately before this. Because after they finish the Passover... The the uh, Gospels say they, went, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. That's where we are right here. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther... Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Do you, do you glimpse in this account, in this setting, in this, um, in this uh, relationship in this reaction, what what happens, all that's at stake and all that's going through Jesus? life, through his mind, through his heart, through everything about him at this point in time. Everything is pointing to this moment. This climax that's coming as he's going to cross. He's told the disciples that he's gonna, that he's gonna be uh, executed. And he is desperate for a connection with his father. What was significant about Gethsemane? Gethsemane is an area, it's on the lower slopes of the Kidron Valley on the western side of Jerusalem. It's uh, it's in the Mount of Olives, uh, kind of where they were opposite the temple. The, the um, Gethsemane is a little bit like an orchard because the word Gethsemane means oil press. It's where there were all these olive trees that were planted to produce a crop of olives. And they were pressed together to make olive oil. So, if in your mind you can you can picture, maybe you've never seen an olive tree. They're they're gnarled and big, and they they um, they last a long time. They live a really long time, um, but uh, but it was almost like an orchard, if you will, with lots of overgrowth, lots of uh, lots of leaves, and it was quiet and it was secluded. It was a place that that we can gather that Jesus went fairly often to pray because Judas knew where they'd be that night, right? When Judas brings the, the soldiers to come and arrest him, he knew where they'd be. Jesus needed a place where there was going to be as few distractions as possible and where, where he could talk uninterrupted to God. Um, uh, there was probably in Gethsemane, there was probably just those trees and maybe one small building with some tools in it. Nothing else. And so Jesus brings the disciples into the garden. He, the, the, nine of them, eight of them, he, he says, Hey, you guys stay here. And then he brings his inner circle, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, with him. And then he goes a stone's throw away from them and begins to pray. Um, don't, don't miss this when we think about our prayer life. It's so important. It's so important for us when we pray. God can, we can pray to God any place. We can pray in any setting, in any environment, no matter what. But when you really want to talk to God, uh, when you want to focus on him, uh, let me encourage you to find a place that you can go to consistently that has as few distractions as possible. Put your phone away. You know, turn it off, put it on an airplane or something if you're using your phone for your prayer list. But wipe out all the distractions so that you can focus completely on him. And Satan doesn't have tools to draw your attention, draw your minds away. In 2011, I, I was able to visit the Holy Land, and the thing that I remember about the, about the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, what, where they take you, what they, where they think it was, um, was that it was incredibly peaceful. You walked in, and there was just this sense of, sometimes we need that when we pray, right? We, we need to just release everything that's on our mind and be in the presence of God. Maybe that's a room in your house. Um, may, maybe it's a place that you can go to a park or someplace like that. Maybe it's your deer stand and you go, you know, during the summer and sit up there or whatever. Someplace that you can go and just put everything else out of your mind and talk, and talk to God. Um, being real in our prayer life, being authentic, means that we don't have to put on a happy face. We don't, have to, we don't have to impress anybody. We can be who we are no matter what's going on and just be authentic with God and say, God, here I am. But in order to be able to do that, we need to get rid of the distractions and focus on him. Um, I, I want to give you some things that I think are out of this Mark 14 passage that I think can guide us in being real and authentic in our prayer life. Let me, let me give you what I think the first one is and maybe one of the biggest ones. Uh, we need to pray in our brokenness. Sometimes when our life is falling apart, um, we, we feel like we can't pray because everything is too much of a mess. Listen to, to, to what Mark says. This is the Living Bible um, in uh, verse 33. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be filled with horror and deepest distress. And he said to them, my soul is crushed by sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Was, do you think that was hyperbole? Or do you think that Jesus was saying, no, this is, what, this is what's really going on. Jesus was at the point of death in, in trying to process what he knew was in front of him. He was so burdened, so, so just overwhelmed with what lay in front of him. Jesus was facing death and he knew it. Um, ironically, I think, as I studied this passage, I, I don't think Jesus was as scared of dying of the physical death, as much as he was um, scared, as much as he um, he was concerned about what that meant, that he was going to be separated from God for the first time in his life. Jesus, who had been there at the time of creation, Let us make man in our own image. Jesus, who even in his life on earth had had constant communication with God, Jesus recognized that when he went to the cross, when he took our sin on himself, that he was going to be completely separated from God, all by himself, and that he was going to take, he who knew no sin was going to take all of our sin on himself. That's what I think was, his, was, his, uh, was, was what made him so overwhelmed, so crushed to the point of death. Are you broken when you pray? Or most of the time do you come to God feeling pretty good about your life? Got a good house, got a car, got a good family, got all that stuff. We, can, we need to pray when things are going good. But understand this, that we can pray in our brokenness. In our brokenness, God can demonstrate his love for us in an incredibly powerful way. God can come in alongside us. God hears our prayers when we're broken. Whether we're broken by broken relationships, broken by addiction, broken by failure, broken by disappointment. No matter what that is, we can pray When we're broken. Oftentimes oftentimes people who are addicts will say that they've reached bottom. You know, they say, Oh yeah, man, I'm 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 at the end of my rope and I'm ready to change. But they're not yet ready to to accept full responsibility for their actions. They say, well, you know, the stuff that happened to me when I, when I was a kid, that's, that's what caused me to go down this path. Oh, that, you know, my, my parents, whatever it is, all of those things have caused my addiction. My, my experience is this. When, when an addict um, deflects responsibility, they haven't really reached bottom. Because when you reach bottom, you say, you know what, my mess is my mess. Yeah, there's been lots of stuff that's happened to me, but I'm a mess and I need help. It's at that point in our brokenness where God can come in and begin to transform our lives. Sometimes, if we're not addicts, we come to God and say, God, yeah, I'm, I'm broken, I'm, in, I'm a mess, I need you. And yet we're still not ready to accept that what God says we need, what God says needs to happen in our life, that we're ready to accept. We're, we're, we're praying, but we're thinking, ah, I think, I think I have a better way than God's way, right? Anybody been there, done that? We, we think that we know better, even though we're praying. Brokenness means, God, it can only be your way because I've made a mess of my life. You know, we, we think, it's not fair that I have to go through this mess in my life. It's not fair that these relationships are broken. It's not fair that I bear the brunt of somebody else's mistakes and sinful behavior. It wasn't fair for Jesus to have to go to the cross, right? And yet, he did. God knew best. God knew that his separation from Jesus so that Jesus could take our sin on him was the only way that we could be restored. It wasn't what God wanted in his deepest heart for Jesus to have to go through that, but he did want in his deepest heart for us to be restored to him. You don't have to be broken to pray, but when you are truly broken and helpless, about the only thing that you can do is pray. When you're broken deeply, you in, usually end up in one of two places. You either end up in isolation or in intimacy. Lots of times, when we're broken, we we push everyone away and we try and survive on our own, all by ourselves. In our brokenness. Uh, you know, nobody can help me. Nobody can do anything. And we push everybody away. We end up there or we end up in intimacy, in our brokenness. All of a sudden there are people who come into our lives that we care about deeply that can begin to minister to us. Listen to what, listen to what Jesus said in verse 35. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father. Everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me, not what I will, but but what will you? The word "Abba" is the word is the Aramaic word for daddy. And in Romans eight, when we talk about the use of the word "Abba," in Galatians four, when we take we talk about the use of the word "Abba," usually we talk about it. It means daddy, like bring a little guy and have him sit on my lap and say, "Oh, daddy." And there's this this level of intimacy that's there, right? The picture that's there is we can, we can talk to God like a little guy can talk to his dad and say, Daddy, would you do this for me? Jesus, in his brokenness in the garden, facing separation from God, said, Daddy, Daddy, isn't there any other way that this can happen? I, I would maintain that in our, that, that as adults, we use the word daddy um, when our relationship with, with our parents is reduced to that that we experienced when we were a little kid. Sometimes it's, a, it's in a moment of tenderness. You know, our, our parents are, are leaving this earth and we say, daddy, I love you. Um, some, sometimes it's, at, you know, at a wedding where a bride will be walking down the aisle with her father and say, daddy. This is the greatest most of the time we just say "Dad," you know we, 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 we don't go to the daddy. The other time that we go to, to the use of the word "daddy" in intimacy is when we 've made a wreck of our lives, right? Anybody ever wrecked their car that was their parents car and had to get on the phone and say, "Daddy <laughs> you love me don't you." Um, when I was in high school, I was driving my dad's brand new car. Oh no, it's <laughs> right. Uh, literally, we got the car on a Wednesday and um, and that weekend was our high school prom. I was, Dad said I could drive it to the prom. It was LTD2. It was a fine car. Uh, and We stopped uh, on the way to the restaurant and a uh, Car coming out of a bar with a drunk driver hit the side of the car. I remember so clearly calling my dad and saying, Daddy? Dad, do you love me? In our brokenness, there is an opportunity for intimacy. Man, don't miss this. When your life is a wreck, when your life is a wreck, that's the time to say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Can you come rescue me? Not my will, but yours. God, show me the way. Um, We need to pray. Pray in our brokenness. We need to pray in our loneliness as well. In the time of Jesus' greatest crisis, he wanted and needed his friend's support. He brings the disciples with him into the garden. Jesus didn't have to do that, right? But he but they leave the Passover celebration, they come to the garden, they walk through Jerusalem, through the streets, they walk over to the Kidron Valley, into the Garden of the Gethsemane, and and eight of the eight of the disciples stay uh, as soon as they enter the garden. Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, "Come with me and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray." They go a little bit farther. Jesus goes a stone's throw away from them to pray on his own. And what happens? His closest friends fall asleep. I think if I were Jesus, I would have been so discouraged to say, what am I even messing with this for? You guys, you're a loser. You you know, just, just throw it all away. But Jesus continued to pray in his loneliness It's interesting to me that Jesus prays literally for an hour, goes back to see Peter, James, and John, and they're asleep. He says, what's the deal with you guys? Can't you pray? He goes back and prays for another hour, goes back and they fall asleep again. He prays a third hour. And goes back in there to sleep again. And at that point, Jesus says, you know what? It's time now. Um, Jesus prayed in his loneliness. Can you imagine his disappointment that these guys he invested, had invested three years in? These guys who were his closest friends here on earth. They fell asleep when he needed them most. Um, Three times. Again, when I was studying this, some interesting thoughts went in my mind. You know, it had just been a few hours before that Jesus had said to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. I wonder if Peter, after the third time that he had fallen asleep, thought, oh, that's my denial. Happened three times, right? Jesus came back and rebuked me. You know what? Yeah, I did. I fell asleep on him. That was the end of it. That wasn't the end of it, right? It got lots worse than that. But Jesus was able to pray in his loneliness. Understand this, that when everybody else walks away, when your family has left you alone, has abandoned you, when you're isolated, when when your husband or your wife has said, you know what, you're on your own in this when your friends have left you, when your friends are not supporting you and you're still praying, you're still talking to God about whatever it is that's going on in your life, keep praying. Pray in the midst of your loneliness and allow God to feed that relationship in a way like he never has before. Pray with intensity as well. Luke 22 says... Uh, Luke's account of this, verse forty-two. Father, Jesus says, "Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours alone." An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And Jesus, being in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus, man, don't miss this. Jesus was praying with such incredible intensity that it affected his physical body. All of his strength, all of his emotion was on the line. Jesus' prayer was intense. What the Bible describes here is a medical condition called hematodrosis, And when your body's in crisis, rarely, but when your body's in crisis, it can happen that your pores ooze Blood. That's what is described here was happening to Jesus because he was praying so intensely. Jesus, Jesus recognized that he was going to take from us everything that we deserved the sting of death, the pain and the mess of sinfulness, it was going to come on him. And he was saying, God, please, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let's go that way. But whatever you say, God, I'm willing to do. Jesus said to the disciples, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus took all of the strength of his spirit and his flesh and poured it into his conversation with God. Pray pray with humility as well. Um, Matthew 26 says, Jesus, going a little farther, fell with his face to the ground and prayed. This is not the the picture here. Don't miss this. The picture is not that Jesus stumbled and fell and, and that he just stayed there. The picture is of Jesus prostrating himself before God. talking to him in a position of utmost humility. This is hard for us because we live in a culture where we want everybody to be equal, right? We don't want anybody to have power over us. We don't live in a a kingdom where there's a king that we have to bow to. The, The closest thing in our culture is when you're in court, right, and the judge comes in and they say, everybody rise. And you stand up because the, the judge comes in. And you call him your honor. That's the, that's the closest thing that we have to being subservient to anyone in our culture. Jesus prayed with an incredible sense of humility on his hands and knees before God. I, I'd like to challenge you. This uh, this is the challenge that's in the message uh, in the app notes at the end of the message. I I would challenge you to when you pray to assume a different kind of posture than you usually do. If you usually sit, um, change that. Go to your knees and pray. Fall on your fall on your face and be prostrate before God, just as a physical reminder that the God that we're talking to is the God of the universe. He's the one who made us. He's the one who who made a way for us to be reconciled. And when we pray to him, we need to recognize that he is both Abba, Daddy, but he's also the king of the universe, the most powerful, the highest of the high. To kneel is a sign of submission, a sign of defenselessness. It's a sign to say, God, not my way, but yours. In this passage, I think that there's, that there's clear teaching that we need to pray with honesty. This is that whole being real thing. Um, Jesus prayed and he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And so the communication that he had with God was raw and unfiltered. It, it was just out there, no special words, no, no trying to impress God. He, he just said, God, I don't want to do this. Isn't there some other way, God? I don't want to do this. Jesus prayed for when he wanted; he wanted another option, but and he wasn't afraid to ask boldly for that. But he was willing to accept whatever God chose. This whole prayer with honesty thing is a, is a. I, I think that it's a thing that's hard for us, even when we pray by ourselves. Because when we get down to gut-level honesty and talking to God, sometimes that causes us to be a mess. Because words come out when we're being honest with God that we don't want to admit to ourselves. A number of years ago, um, we were in life group. Deb and I were in life group with some friends, and, and I had a friend named John. John, uh, I... Um, John was John and his wife were hosting our life group, and um, John wasn't able to sleep. He had some medical stuff going on, and he couldn't sleep, and so he had gone for weeks with literally just 20 or 30 minutes of sleep. And the result of that was that he couldn't work. He had six kids. They lived in a big house, and, and they were in incredible crisis. I, I remember this particular night in life group, because we started to pray, and he John had said man, you 've got to pray for me i 've got to get some sleep, and i 've got to be able to work and i don 't know what to do so we 're praying for him and um and um John began to pray, and he wailed, he sobbed to the point that you couldn 't understand anything that he was saying he it, it was that it was that rawness and that honesty when you cry where there's snot coming out your nose and you're a mess and nobody knows, nobody wants to look at you, nobody knows what to do. Um, and he prayed for a long time. It was incredibly awkward. And it changed that life group dramatically because he was willing to say, I don't care what anybody thinks, I am in desperate need of God to come in and intervene in my life. We've got to start praying like that. To say, I don't care what anybody else thinks about the way I pray. I've got to be real and honest with God. I've got to be real about what's going on in my heart. I've got to be real about about all the threats that there are on my life, the things that are going on. And I've got to trust Him, even when it's hard, when it's impossible, when I don't know what to do. We need to pray with honesty. And be real. We need to pray with persistence. I, I mentioned this before. Um, I, I believe from looking at the text that Jesus literally prayed for three hours in the Garden of Gethsemane. That, that, that when he said, you know, could you not tarry with me for one hour? That, that, that wasn't just a figurative, t- he was talking about an hour. Three straight hours, Jesus prayed and said, God, please take this away from me. Three hours. What, what's our default? We pray, God, God, could you fix this? And maybe we pray two or three times for 15 or 20 seconds. We say, oh, God doesn't care. And we walk away. Jesus was incredibly persistent in this prayer. Don't be afraid to be consistent and persistent in talking to God about things that are going on in your life. In Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus is teaching on prayer and he, he tells a parable about this guy who has a visitor come and the visitor comes and, and he doesn't have anything to eat. And so this, he goes to his neighbor and says, Hey, this visitor's come. I need some food. Can you give me some food? It's the middle of the night and the neighbor has already gone down for bed. His whole family has gone down for bed. And at this point in time in history, that meant everybody's sleeping in the same bed. So if the guy gets up to answer the door, all the kids are waking up. Anybody got multiple kids and know how hard it is to get your kids to sleep? This guy guy says, go away, go away, go away. And the guy keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. finally, the guy gets up and gives him the bread and sends him on his way so he can feed his visitor. And Jesus contrasts that, not to say that the neighbor is God. What What he contrasts is to say, if your neighbor who's waking up his whole family to give bread to his friend... If he'll do that and lose his sleep in the middle of the night, how much more does God love you? How much more will God listen when you pray, when you ask him? How much more does he want to respond and take care of of your needs? Pray with persistence. Finally, pray knowing that God knows best. God knows best. You know, Jesus said, Lord, not not my will, but yours. I trust that you know what's best. God, here's my desire. I don't want it to go this way. Isn't there some other way it can happen? But I trust you. Um, Pray knowing God knows best. Knowledge is rational, right? And, And what's funny to me is on this particular thing, I know in my head God knows best. I know that. I know that. But I don't always believe it with my heart, right? I don't. It, it's a difficult thing for me to trust when I think this looks like the path, God. This is the way it should be. I need to pray, knowing in my head but knowing in my heart that God is a good God who loves us who will always lead us in the best path. Jesus yielded to the will of God. Um, And so so we need to also. There comes a time when, when all the praying is done, when we've asked and requested, and we just need to say, God, I trust you. At the very end of this passage, verse 42, Jesus comes back for the third time to Peter, James, and John, and says, you're still asleep. You're still asleep. You better get up because here comes the party, right? Here, here comes Judas with the swords and torches. Here comes the arrest. You need to wake up. The time for praying has stopped. We need to, we need to as we have opportunity to pray, to pray intensely, to pray authentic, authentically. We need to pray depending on God. We need to pray knowing that God knows best and being willing to accept that. You know, God hears our prayers. He hears all of our prayers. He, he answers usually in one of three ways. When we pray, God either says, yeah, I want to do that, and takes care of it. Sometimes, he prays, sometimes when we pray, God says, um, not now. I want to give you that, but not now. And that gets frustrating for us, right? Because he doesn't really say not now. It just looks like there's no answer. But when we look back in retrospect, it is a not now. And on some things, God says no. That gets really hard for us because we think we know best, right? When we pray, we think that we know what God should do. And when God says no, that's hard for us. Don't miss this out of everything else in the message today. God said no to his son. He can say no to us and we can trust him. Because in saying no to Jesus, to Jesus' for God, make a different way. God's plan was so much better. We would not be here today. We would not have a relationship with God if God hadn't said no to Jesus. Sometimes when we're in the midst of crisis, we think, it feels so trite. It feels so aggravating for someone to say, you know what, God's got a plan in this. When a loved one dies when a relationship breaks, when we lose a job, God's got a plan, in uh, shut up, right? God has a plan for us, and we can trust him. We can trust him. If God says no, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he doesn't hear you. It does mean that he knows better than you what the answer for that prayer is. Should be. In the app, there's a challenge for you a challenge to pray out loud, to find someplace secluded, and to use a different posture in your prayer life this week. And see if that doesn't just uh, open up an opportunity to have a conversation with God like you've never had before. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can pray. We thank you that we can talk to you and know that you hear us. God, I thank you that we can talk to you and know that you hear what's in our heart even when our words are messed up. God, draw us. Draw us into your presence, into that relationship over and over and over again. In Jesus, our Savior's name, we pray. Amen.